Welcome, everyone. Today's story is Craig. He only wanted more. In the 1950s and 60s, things were a bit different than they are today. Most people took you by your word or by the amount of knowledge you appeared to demonstrate about a certain interest or topic. That being the case, Craig, with his higher-than-average ability to silver-tongue his way through any conversation, could persuade people to believe anything he perceived would give him an upper hand in whatever the topic might be. This was also the case in 1953 when he met his wife, 18-year-old Shannon, who had also become pregnant that year. But the story quickly takes a turn for the worst as Craig's in prison for theft in the same year. Out of embarrassment, his wife put the baby up for adoption and dissolved their marriage. His family no longer wanted anything to do with him. Craig, now locked up, out of luck, and nowhere to go, had to devise a plan. Once released, he moved to Kansas where he took a job as a driver for Mr. Pratt, a wealthy business owner who, despite his personal success in photography, was also in charge of taking restitution from retail and residential tenants in which his parents owned. Craig became bored and felt as though he was beyond this lifestyle. He began a business scheme as a stockbroker, but was later arrested and sentenced to four years in prison again for fraud. During his stay in prison, he found the process of melting bones and tissue with sulfuric acid. Craig, by way of manipulating the other prisoners to bring him product, was experimenting with 100% acid. He would try the experiment on rats and leftover chicken bones from lunch. Given the results he was achieving with his experiments, he devised the plan of all plans. In his mind, there would be no murder without a body for evidence, and if the acid took away the body, he could therefore get away with murder. In 1954, Craig was released from prison and found employment as an accountant, but by happenstance soon ran into his old boss, Mr. Pratt, from the photography studio. He described his life since leaving his employment as invigorating and full of accomplishments in the engineering field. His former boss and he became friends. Vincent Pratt even introduced Craig to his parents and kept very close ties with them. Craig convinced his former boss to become business partners in a joint venture. During the signing of all the partnership agreements, it allowed Craig to have survivorship rights in company dealings. Vincent Pratt began inquiring about the progress of the venture. Craig invited him out to view the progress. They walked into the basement of a dilapidated building. Vincent began getting agitated with his surroundings. Craig assured them that he would be grateful in the end as he led him further into the basement. At the end of the hall, there was a workstation, only a desk and a trash container next to it. They walked toward the desk, his partner staring at him as he walks with a sudden look of disdain. Mr. Pratt looks and says, What have you brought me all the way down here to show me a desk? Craig is looking at him and says, No, look, in the right drawer. You're going to love it. Mr. Pratt surprised and says, You better hope so. I'm pulling the plug on this operation. Who do you think you're dealing with? Craig lets him get to the desk ahead of him. He walks to the left, pulls a metal bar from the shelf, as Vincent Pratt turns to reveal the empty drawer, Craig slams the rod against his skull. Looking around to make certain no one has witnessed the event, he then turns his attention to going forward with the plan he came up with in prison. He put all his thought into achieving his goal of getting the ingredients needed to dissolve the body. He made the fake engineering company in order to be eligible to purchase the sulfuric acid. He made certain there was a sewer drain to get rid of the dissolved tissue. However, he failed to obtain a chemical vat adequate enough to take the large frame man. Craig underestimated the vat size by several gallons. It was large enough for the amount of acid needed to dissolve him, however, he did not allow for the man himself. Fortunately, he had thought to get a backup vat of the same size. That only left one problem. Yeah, you guessed it. How do you get one man into two separate vats? He contemplated putting him in a little at a time, however, that would cause the vat to overflow, leaving tissue matter all over the floor. 
Craig standing over his former boss, looking into his open eyes. He asks aloud, Are you really dead? Have you left the body yet? He thinks to himself, Is he hovering over me? Looking at me? Looking at him? How can it be that easy to take the life of someone? What will be the penalties in the afterlife? As these thoughts run through his mind, he can't stop looking into his former employer's eyes. He still looks so alive. How can he just not be anymore? I know you have to be somewhere. You can't just not be. These thoughts start to enrage him. He touches the face of his victim, and it begins to be evident that Vincent Pratt is no longer in his body and may very well be hovering above him. Craig looks above him and states aloud, You may want to leave the room. I'm not sure how the rest of this will go. Craig reaches in the drawer of the desk and pulls out rubber rain gear. He slings a leather apron over his head and ties the strap behind his back. The whole time he's getting dressed, he's looking at the face of his victim. He reaches down and puts his thumb and forefinger on each of the eyes and pushes them closed. He reaches back into the desk and pulls out a long gas mask with the inlet on his back connected by a hose. Craig comes up with a plan to put half the man in one vat and hang over into the second vat. But that would leave only enough acid in half of each. Would that be enough to dissolve his victim? He can't chance it. He devises a second plan, one that would cause him to do something he is not sure he is capable of. The whole reason for the vat is to secure a clean and evidence-free crime scene. Craig pulls at the man attempting to get him into the vat. However, the man is too large for him to pick up, and even if he could, it doesn't appear the vat is large enough. He runs out of the tool shed and returns carrying several items, a hammer, shovel, tree limb saw, and an axe. He lays the man flat on the floor. As he flops flat on the ground, the large man wobbles back and forth only twice, but seemed like he regained life to Craig. He panics and picks up the axe, taking guard over the man, but the man doesn't move. He sets all the tools in a row and looks over them. He takes the shirt off the man, feeling uncomfortable. He lays the shirt over his breast and belly. He takes a knife from the tools and goes to the shoulder. He cuts at the arm, but it's too dull to get through the muscle. He tears at the arm with a knife. Blood is flowing from the cut. He begins to feel queasy. Craig looks away, putting his mouth to his shoulder, attempting not to vomit. He stands up and turns his attention to the tree saw, picking it up and going to the cut. He pulls the saw back and pushes forward, but the saw sticks. He picks it up, pulls it again. It sticks as he attempts to go forward. The bone is too dense. He thinks to himself. He hovers over the man, looks over the tools. He picks up the axe, then looks at the man again before slamming the axe down into his shoulder. He pulls at the arm, thinking it's loose, but the skin and muscle are still holding on to it. He picks the dull knife back up, as it is his only option, and pulls at the skin with it pulling back and forth until the arm is loose. He places the arm in the vat, wipes the blood from the goggles, and picks the axe back up. He swings at the neck. The head jumps, opening the eyes of the head, now hanging only by muscle and skin. Craig holds the hair of his victim and tears at the skin until it's finally loose from the neck. He holds it up, looking at it. He closes the eyes and throws it into the vat. He shakes with goosebumps as he thinks of the deed that he has done. I have no choice, he says to himself, as he continues until the man is split between the two vats. He ensures that his gas mask is in place and then begins to fill the vats with acid. He cleaned the entire area of all the evidence and covered the vats with tarps. Craig convinces his former boss's parents that he had to leave the country in order to avoid the authorities in a tax matter that he had before mentioning to Craig. Unfortunately, the parents had been aware of the tax matter, but unaware of the severity of it. Craig soon began collecting for the family, taking responsibility previously performed by his victim. 
After a period of time, the family had entrusted him to be part of the business and being partnered in several ventures. At some point, the parents began looking for their son through the works of a private investigator. Once Craig heard of this, he told them that he had been in contact with his former employer and that he would be returning within a month or so. They canceled all their quarries, thinking he would be returning soon. Craig moved all of his acid products and materials to a new location at one of the properties. He led the man of the house into the basement where all the items had been stored. He then instructed him to look into a barrel that was open. The barrel was not marked and appeared to be empty. He turns to Craig to complain and as he does, Craig hits him square in the skull with the same metal rod that he had used to kill his son. He'd lay the man face up, leaning him against the barrel. Craig runs for his wife and instructs her to come help that the man had fallen and asked for her. They both hurry to the basement area. She sees her husband and hurries past Craig. She leans to help her husband when Craig darts from the corner, grabbing the rod and whacking her in the back of the head. They lie on the floor, not moving. Craig begins to get dressed in a chemical suit. Suddenly he hears moaning coming from the pile of humans that lie on the floor beside him. He is confused by the sound. He suddenly realizes he doesn't know who the moaning is coming from. He grabs the lady by her hair, picks her head up and looks into her face. The moaning gets louder, but not coming from the head in his hand. He pokes at the man laying underneath the lady with the skin that feels pliable and warm. He rushes for the rod, turns and sees the man's eyes open and looking at him. A look of concern and fear in the eyes as he gets closer. The moans get louder. Suddenly, he thrusts the rod into the man's skull once. Another moan, he lifts the rod and drops it again on the skull. Craig jumps back and realizes he has gone too far. He picks up the torso of the lady that is light and is able to lift her into the barrel opening. He reaches for the man but finds that he is too heavy to pick up to put into the barrel. He thinks to himself, am I going to have to cut this guy in half to get him in this barrel? He comes up with an idea. He turned the barrel over and puts the man's head in and tries to slide the man into the barrel. However, every time he pushes him, the barrel goes forward. He puts the barrel against the wall and pulls the man's head into the barrel. He works the torso into the barrel, but the legs are hanging out. It takes all of Craig's strength and willpower to stand the barrel up with the man inside. He folds at the legs, trying to get them into the barrel, but there is no way. He looks at the axe and remembers the mess that it had made and that he still had to cut away at the flesh. He pulls at one of the legs until he hears a snap breaking the bone of the leg. It's still a struggle to get the leg into the barrel. He pulls again at the other leg until it also snaps. He stands over the barrel thinking that the worst is over. He straps the gas mask over his face. He pours the acid over the man until the barrel is full. Only a small section of the man's foot is sticking out. He walks over to the second barrel and opens the acid. He pours the acid in the barrel when suddenly the lady starts screaming. He pours as fast as he can as she thrashes in the acid. He takes the axe that he had just in case and holds the lady's face under the acid until the struggle has stopped. He feels a burning sensation on his head. He quickly pulls the gloves off and reaches for the burn. He feels his head and looks to his hand where a clump of hair now lay. The burning continues. He runs for the sink, puts his head under the water. Returning to the barrel, he notices that the acid had turned red and could no longer make out the faces of his victims. He continues on a daily basis to take care of the business and convinces the bank and staff that the family had gone on an extended vacation and left him in charge, showing them the business agreement he had with the son and they had no reason to not believe him. This went on for some time as he attempted to drain the banking accounts and transfer the properties to himself. On the third month of the disappearance, a young lady comes into the office on a Monday morning. All the staff were very happy to see this young lady. Craig walks over to a receptionist and asks who this lady is. Who is this? Oh, let me introduce you to Sam. I'm sorry, Samantha Pratt. She is Vincent's sister. You didn't know he had a sister? She's been away doing missionary work for the past year or so. Sam looks up to Craig. I don't think we've met. 
Who are you exactly? Excuse me, ma'am. My name is Craig. I've been in business with your brother for a long time now. Sam looks away uninterested with that or anything else to do with the business. Where's mom and dad? I've been calling all last week. No answer or no return call. Craig tries to answer her with a story about the extended vacation. She ignores him and continues to talk to the receptionist. The receptionist walks up behind her and tells her they are in Paris on extended vacation. They hadn't told me they were going. Mom knows I've always wanted to go and she wouldn't let dad take her without me. What's really going on here? Craig approaches her again. She stops him with her hand. Who are you again? Please don't talk to me like you know me. Sam turns back to the receptionist. I went by the house and dad's medicine is all out of date. This doesn't feel right. I'm calling the police. Craig overhears this and calls for her to come to his office. He has some information for her. She looks at him and said, I don't know you. I'm not comfortable with strangers. Craig says, I understand. However, a friend is someone you haven't met yet, a.k.a. a stranger. She walks into his office. He gets up and says to her, follow me. I have something to show you that may help you. They go to the elevator. She follows him hesitantly. He hits the button labeled B. She looks at his face, trying to read his intent. The elevator stops. He walks out. She follows from a distance. He notices this and begins to speed up a little before she backs out. He points to a desk in the corner with a dim light hanging over it. This is where your father was spending a lot of time just before they left in a hurry. She rushes over to the desk and opens the top drawer, which is empty. She opens the next drawer, and inside is a hatchet and a couple of knives. I don't know what he'd be doing with these, she says. As she looks back, she notices Craig reaching for the steel rod. As he turns around, she hits him in the side of the head with a hatchet. Where are my parents, you son of a bitch? He drops the rod and reaches the hatchet in his face. She grabs one of the knives as he attempts to pull the hatchet out. He pulls at it, spinning around in a circle. She watches in horror. He finally gets the hatchet out. He walks over towards her with the hatchet in his hand. She waves the knife towards him as he pushes forward. She lunges and pushes the knife into his abdomen. He swings the hatchet but misses. Sam walks backwards, not taking her eyes off of him. She trips over something lying on the ground. He stands over her. You should have stayed where you were under that rock, little lady. He lifts the hatchet to follow her when suddenly blood starts oozing down his face. He drops the hatchet and falls to his knees. He then falls to his side, revealing the receptionist with a steel rod in her hands. I never trusted that guy.